Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 7-7 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, this week we're back down to a two-man operation after having Zach Zaichi on of the menu bar last week. Angelo, what an episode. Yeah, that was great. Uh, I really enjoyed his work, and it was fun to actually be able to interact with his voice as opposed to just listening to it. And uh, what's with the 7-7 thing? I'm just trying new things out, you know. All right. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was Double Dency Dad. Okay. 7-7. Seven, seven. I was watching some Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I felt it uh, infect me. All right. Having Zach on was fun. And uh, despite you saying 7-7 seven, seven this week, it was a great episode. <laughs> Thank you, Angela, <laughs> for wanting to correct me at all times. So today is Canadian Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. I uh, didn't kill any turkeys, though. I had, I've had, I had a turkey yesterday. I had a turkey today. How about you? Uh, one turkey last night, zero turkeys today, and that's fine. I'm not really a big fan of turkey, to be honest with you. It's like a big chicken. Yeah, but it doesn't taste like chicken either, so I, uh, I have issues with it. It sort of tastes like chicken, no? All right, this is a food podcast now, and we're going to get into that. The main reason I bring up Thanksgiving, though, is because yesterday I was at my fiance's parents' place, and uh, so her nephew, and I guess like my nephew by osmosis, is that how it works? Soon, yeah, you're not married yet. Yeah, uh, so he was there, and I found out that he still watches VHS tapes. Really? And they they still work and yeah, they're, they're not demagnetized or anything. No, they have a full stack of um, of uh, Disney classics in the back, and he is enamored with a certain Winnie the Pooh um, short from like the '60s that was like transferred onto VHS in the '90s, and he loves watching that. How old is he? He is two. Okay, <laughs> I was worried to say he's twenty six. <laughs> we put him in the back room all the he's time. He's just a hipster, refuses to watch anything digitally. Well, he also does uh, a lot of YouTube videos for Sesame Street, but I, I feel, and my fiance was commenting, like, I think this may be the only two-year-old we know who will know the tactile feel of, like, pushing in, like, the VHS tape. Like, he enjoys doing that. Yeah, we, I haven't, we haven't plugged in the VHS uh, recorder thing, VCR, VCR, is that what they called it? Let's go with VCR. Uh, yeah, uh, we have it somewhere in the basement. It was plugged into the TV, and I uh, disconnected it when I got my uh, SNES back. And uh, yeah, the kids didn't really use it too much. It's a hassle. They like the uh, instant on of digital. Well, good for them. Uh, never knowing the wait and see attitude of like, for example, like, uh, no, that's not true. Uh, loading a CD based game, perhaps they might know some of that. Oh, well, they watch DVD. The DVDs are, are just as bad in terms of having to wait for them to load. Blu-rays are actually worse where you have to wait even longer. Uh, they they both much prefer Netflix or YouTube because it's so much quicker. Great. Uh, I, I, this was just an aside. It was a fun anecdote because I really have a lot of things we need to talk about this week. And the first thing I want to talk about is uh, waving goodbye to Google Plus as, when, uh, as was announced earlier today. I rarely use Google Plus. I think I logged into it three or four times and uh, there's not much there. So Google has decided to shut down the uh, failing for lack of a better term, uh, social network, because of the fact that they discovered that there was a vulnerability in place that uh, people exploit in order to collect uh, data. So basically what would happen is that user A would sign up. So you would sign up for Google+, and then what would happen is that you would specify certain um, privacy rights uh, according to you. So for example, like you would only let your friends see your profile, right? Uh, so I would sign up, and then I would uh, allow my info to be public, and then APIs would hook onto me, and through me, they'd be able to access your information. Oh, the internet. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been like a few years in the making, and they only discovered this in March 2018. And so I guess they decided uh, to put the uh, ailing dog to sleep. It was never even close to being successful. 
Google tries really hard for a lot of things. I'm surprised it lasted this long with how quickly Google shuts things down. I was talking to people on Twitter today about Google Plus, and I realized I spent more time um, at various positions, um, uh, at various companies, drafting memos and emails explaining why we shouldn't be on Google Plus. Uh, like I spent more time doing that than actually being on Google Plus, which tells you something about it. It, it was always uh, a waste of time, really. There's there's nothing in it that would benefit anyone, unfortunately. Uh, as garbagey as Facebook is, it's a lot more beneficial to businesses and uh, people creating a social media presence than Google Plus ever was. Even like Facebook in its in its infancy, and Google Plus didn't come out too much after Facebook was starting to take off. It was like sort of like uh, maybe a year after Facebook really took off with the public. I'd probably yeah, I'd probably say like two like two thousand. So this was launched in two thousand eleven. So I'd say like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, apparently they were trying to obfuscate the fact that there was an issue. Uh, with user data uh, wanting to not land in U.S. Senate crosshairs. And I think this might be an issue. Oh, well, goodbye, Google+. We hardly knew you. Because we are in the middle of video game season here on Double Density, we thought we'd continue the video game train with an article with the composer, of uh, the Pokemon series uh, music. So I'm gonna probably get a butcher his name, but uh, Junichi Masuda reflects on the series earlier days, and this is a polygon.com article about that. And the reason I wanted to link this to you is both also because like Pokemon Let's Go, um, uh, Pikachu and Eevee are coming out in, in about a month and a bit, but also because of the fact that buried kind of like in the middle of the article was the revelation that the original build of the Pokemon games almost got lost due to server issues. That's horrifying. These two classic games that uh, actually one thing before we go on is I have zero affinity for uh, Pokemon. It really came out at the wrong time. Uh, I think I was like 19 or 20 when it came out and much more interested in playing my PlayStation than I was in playing uh, Game Boy. And I think we've discussed this. I never actually had a Game Boy. So it, it was a little uh, poor timing for me uh, in terms of Pokemon. So I'm not really excited about any Pokemon games. I haven't even latched on to Pokemon Go, which I still see people losing their minds over. Did you know that people call it Pogo for short? Oh, huh, clever. <laughs> There's that uh, nugget of information. The reason why people listen to Double Density is all of these <laughs> bits of info all living together in the same place. But so you weren't a fan of this. You were 1920 when this came out. You were smoking marijuana. You were drinking your grain alcohol. Not you at all. Your Final Fantasy. Yeah, more like playing Final Fantasy than the other stuff that cool people did. Did you literally play in a basement, though? No, in my bedroom. Okay, all right. I was playing right. Final Fantasy X. That's a great game. Uh, but no, this was not uh, my type of RPG at the time. I'm sure I'd like it if I went back and tried and played it. I'm sure it's pretty great. And I've almost considered getting the new Pokemons that are coming out. Uh, Pokemans, as Tim Cook would say. And uh, no, I'm probably not going to get it. Uh, this is interesting, though, that he was the composer and then became like the producer of the actual yeah, full game, yeah. which is really cool. Well, Game Freak originally was a very tiny shop that uh, it took them like uh, like a number of years to put Pokemon together, right? Right as sales of the Game Boy declined. And I feel like it was the reason why the longevity of the original Game Boy and as well as like the Game Boy Color um, kind of uh, there was a resurgence in sales after that, right? It was huge. Uh, I could not like I knew about Pokemon because I had uh, younger nephews that really were into it, uh, like including having the cards. And I remember my nephew finding a card like of a really rare Pokemon, and he was very excited about that. 
but I didn't know much about it other than that Pikachu was super cute. And uh, now I like playing with him as uh, a character in Smash Brothers. See, there you go. You have a peripheral enjoyment of Pokemon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pokemon's totally fine. My kids are not into it. My wife refuses to let them watch anything to do with Pokemon because uh, she's had uh, horror stories from her days teaching elementary school. Uh, Who is your favorite Pokemon? I don't know many Pokemon. My favorite one to say is Charizard. That's fun to say. That's a good one. Um, But I don't really... I could probably name you three or four Pokemon, like, and I would be struggling. All right. Hold on a sec. Steph... What's your favorite Pokemon? Uh, so my fiance's favorite is Vulpix. Angela, I want you to do me a favor. Do you have a, a web browser in front of you? I'm sitting in front of my computer in Google uh, Docs. So yes, I have a web browser in front of me. All right. So uh, my fiance, sometimes when uh, I say something stupid, she will call me a snubble, which I thought was a made up name, but it turns out it is a Pokemon. So if you go to Google and you type in S-N-U-B-B-U-L-L, this is what she thinks I look like. <laughs> that's uh that's great actually it does look like you yeah i'm gonna go with my uh, stumble as my uh, favorite pokemon uh no thanks to that asshole uh psyduck i have no idea what you're saying anymore <laughs> so this is the thing that happens in our household is we discuss pokemon on a regular basis so clearly we are pro pokemon household i'm sad to hear that you and your family are not well uh, maybe I, maybe again time, wait 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 i don't want to i don't want to be uh shunned by people that love pokemon i don't i have no i'm neutral towards pokemon but your your wife is anti so that like that views you because she's had she's a teacher a grade one teacher they they're horrified by pokemons because the kids that's all they do with their pokemons and their nintendos and all that stuff i'm not even sure what doing pokemon means dude i don't know um I feel like you're digging a deeper and deeper hole. So let's move on. <laughs> you know, and I have to end up buying the game now to just prove to you people will. that yeah. I'm, I'm cool. Uh, but uh, you also had mentioned something when and I, we kind of got sidetracked. You said they almost lost the entire game. Yeah. Because backups of the, they, are important, Brian. Yeah. This is a classic double density PSA. It's a triple backup, I guess. Yeah. I, I'm actually looking into getting an, an extra SSD so I can back up my SSD. Huge surprise here. Uh, if there's one continuing source of interest for you, it is how to properly document your data. It's very important. Moving on, there is a story this week out of torrentfreak.com about how CBS shut down an entire uh, man-made recreation of uh, st- the USS Enterprise, actually. Uh, the next-gen one, right? Well, it's a game, though, right? It's like a it's a it's a video game of some kind. Yeah, so it's, so it's based off of the Unreal Engine, and so a dedicated family has built an entire replica of the Starship Enterprise, uh, the next gen version uh, that you can travel. And uh, CBS basically shut them down. Now, this brought something to mind uh, that happened about a year ago or so, when um, Nintendo, of course, comes back to Nintendo, but they shut down AM2R, which was a fan-made remake of Metroid 2. In fact, AM2R stands for another Metroid 2 remake. And it was uh, really well-liked, but Nintendo shut it down, and people were wondering why. But just a little bit later, Nintendo released uh, Samus Returns, which was a new remake of Metroid 2. Right. So I'm wondering, is CBS working on some sort of um, virtual reality tour of the USS Enterprise? Well, does it really matter? I mean, like what they want to do CBS wise. And also to be clear, like CBS has very strict guidelines about what uh, fan creations can and can't do, which is something of a rarity in the sort of like the fandom world is like the IP holder 
uh, IP being intellectual property in this case, uh, lists off things that you can and can't do with the characters. And generally speaking, they're pretty lax about this. So it's kind of weird that they've decided specifically to go against this. Because if you take a look at this, the, the stage nine, you know, the Unreal Engine built um, enterprise, it, there's nothing there that would suggest that it's violating any of the terms set out by, you know, by uh, Paramount. Yeah, because the article goes on and talks about this contact they have there. And he was actually pretty cool about everything up until just recently when he almost uh, stopped returning their calls, basically. Ghosted, really? Yeah. I'm I'm thinking there maybe they're working on something that it's very similar to this, which then sort of seems like they stole their idea. They they got Sherlocked, as they say in the Apple world. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. Like I'm trying I'm trying to make the point that an Unreal Engine built uh, enterprise versus like the an A or VR version of the enterprise are two entirely different projects with different aims, right? And unless you're really going specifically to go find the stage nine recreation, you're not really it's not really in your face. No, and I'm sure they're not making that much money out of it, right? So they're not making any money out of it. So it's there we go. Voluntary. It's not. It's, it's it's something they shouldn't really be touching. But it, I find stuff like this strange because it's free publicity for the product that they're presenting, right? It's it's yeah. free publicity for Star Trek by fans who love what they're doing. They're not doing it maliciously to like take money away from. Uh, the pockets of Jean-Luc Picard. They're doing it to do something that they enjoy. It's a hobby. Yeah. And, uh, you had mentioned uh, a Metroid before, but closer to uh, now, uh, over the summer, uh, Pokemon Essentials got closed, right? So these were game creation tours. So a lot of um, Pokemon fighting games, like Pokemon uh, Titanium or Plutonium, Uranium, I can't remember which one it is, uh, was the creation of a set of tools that you can use in order to be able to uh, create a Pokemon experience. But th- it gets a little bit trickier in that instance because of the fact that they're literally boring sprites from the games. Yeah, and, and Nintendo's known for this. They're not... Uh they're not ones to want to have their uh, IP out there being used willy nilly. Uh, although it seems CBS has guidelines in place for this. Nintendo really yeah. doesn't. They're just no, they like, don't. take everything down. Right. And the, the common sort of the common thread over this is that the Pokemon fighting game community as quoted in this article from the verge has been left reeling because of the fact that uh, it kind of grew larger um, as time progressed. And so it became sort of undeniable in order them, for them to do something. So now I ask you this question, right? Um, there are a lot of fan games that aren't Pokemon, but like, for example, like, uh, all the Mario Kaisel stuff, all the speed running, um, sort of centered, um, Mario games. Well, those uh, randomizer things you showed me. Yeah. Too. Like that, is that what's next? I don't know. They don't seem to be touching that stuff. Nintendo's weird sometimes. They've become much better at letting, like, remember in the earlier days of like Let's Plays and stuff, Nintendo was taking those things down. Yeah. A lot of the videos my kids watch start by saying Nintendo provided them a copy of this. Uh, interestingly, I, I bought uh, Overcooked 2 recently. Right when it starts, there's a big message that says, please feel free to use any footage from this game in any videos you want to make. <laughs> That's interesting. I remember years ago, Trent Reznor had put a whole bunch of Nine Inch Nails songs up. Yeah, Ghosts 1 through 4 is a four-volume collection. But also he had put stuff up as like logic files or garage band files for you yes. to download and yeah. have individual tracks. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really great. And Rick Beato has been dealing with that in music where he has that great series. We've talked about how, what makes the song great, where he has individual tracks. He has the isolated tracks of songs, but there's certain things he can't put up 
because he gets takedown notices right away. He can't analyze things by certain bands because it gets taken down super fast. Even though it is, a, is it is it would fall under criticism, so it'd fall under fair use in theory in the States. Yeah, but apparently it doesn't for him. How much do you know about the Star Trek lore in terms of like, not necessarily the story itself, but like how um, uh, production-wise it came to be? Like the original Star Trek? Yeah, like the first three seasons. Well, there was a different captain at first. Right. Then William Shatner came aboard, right? No no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> so Christopher Pike uh, is the name of the original captain from the original series. And then he was replaced. Um, so what happens is that Star Trek does its three seasons. It dies this like weird death, right? Um, but the resurgence is entirely due to fans because of two different factors. The first one is syndication, right? So Star Trek designs and has enough episodes in order to enter syndication. So what happens is that people who originally didn't get to see it got to see it. Secondly, what happens is that Star Trek starts um, building this groundswell and suddenly there are fan conventions and that keeps Star Trek alive through the early to mid seventies. Well, start. And so it's always funny to see that this huge property now came from this three year thing that was a failed TV series. And you're right. The fans had everything to do with it. And now, the, now, in, you know, in the future that uh, Star Trek promised the overlords that handle them are like taking things down from the fans, even though they owe, all the money they've made from it to the fans. Yeah. It's a really weird kind of relationship, right? Because the idea is that, um, uh, one thing that was big too, actually was, was fan fiction, like in like written fan fiction in the early seventies. Um, and I've got the ones where, uh, where they would fall in love and stuff. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like they would shift the characters. Um, so I find that really interesting in that, like they took the IPs and sort of turned them into their own, Interesting little bits and pieces of things. Didn't Fifty Shades of Grey start off as Twilight fan fiction? It sure did, Angela. <laughs> wow. Let me tell you, it was not not good. Yeah, I, I've not read those books. Um, I'm not. I have no interest in reading those books. But uh, I've heard a lot about those books. I've read the first one. You actually read it. Yeah, just because I wanted, I have this like know your enemy philosophy of things. Like if I want to talk badly about something, I'd better know about it. Oh well, that makes sense. So something super interesting, I don't know if you know this, but um, Star Trek also had some recent fan films like Star Trek Axanar came out. Um, like Michael Dorn, who plays Worf, appeared. And, you know, there's like a bunch of, of name Star Trek actors who have appeared on in fan films in the last couple of years. That's amazing that they actually take the time to do that. It It shows that they really appreciate the fans. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of finding it interesting how Paramount sort of like feels justified in taking down this <laughs> Unreal Engine created virtual reality experience. Uh, when really, like, who's it hurting in the day? Like, it, it's not infringing upon money that, uh, that CBS and Paramount would make, right? I don't, I don't see that there. Well, I'm wondering, let's, this is the, uh, bright side hope. Maybe they took it down and then they're approaching the, this team of people that made this and saying, we're buying it from you and we're going to work on it to have, an official licensed product. That is the best case scenario. And then also when the, uh, the Pokemon stuff uh, went down the summer, some people were saying uh, Nintendo and Game Freak should be grabbing the best creators because they're keeping the properties alive. An interesting way is that the official rights holders ne- aren't necessarily doing and exploring different avenues, right? So a lot of people were saying like, this could be a really good instance of stepping in and taking from the community and bettering the, uh, the entirety of the community, both, you know, uh, amateur uh, gamers and then like the hardcore gamers who are really invested in, in not only the canon games, but the fan made games too. So I think that's a really interesting and hopeful way of looking at things. Moving on, though, I linked you to an article from the Atlantic magazine about how uh, automation uh, is an interesting conundrum for a lot of employees uh, who managed to cut their workflow down from a full-time job to part-time. 
I absolutely love this. Talk about ingenuity of what smart people can do. I I understand in terms of how employers would find this horrifying that they have people they're paying to do a job that they're they're doing in a sense, but they're not really doing. Right. I kind of understand a lot of employees when they say, like, I'm not sure if I want to disclose this to my supervisor, my boss, et cetera, because of the fact that uh, my sense would be that, you know, if this person is ingenious to this level, I want to keep them around and see what else I can do and how I can more efficiently make my organization. But other people see this as uh, a time waste and a time suck. And why would I keep you when you have created a program that basically essentially replaces you? Yeah, but they created the program that replaces them. Yeah, totally. So you and I both agree that this is a great idea, but I'm speaking from like a manager's perspective. Yeah. I love the one where he basically worked at a hotel and completely rearranged everything. So, and he like taught himself Lotus one, two, three. So you can tell how long ago this was. He completely revamped the way his job worked and made it super easy. And then when he left and told his boss about him, about it, he gave them the skits. So you can tell how old this was. And he never heard back from them because they basically made it work and they, he had left them this program that basically ran an entire section of this job, which is pretty amazing. Something interesting that he was saying also is that because of the fact that he managed to off, uh, like automate part of his job, he was able to explore other jobs and other opportunities and learn more about the business itself because he had more quote unquote free time uh, to be able to, to explore these avenues and better the company in different ways, which I thought was a really interesting way of looking at things. I wonder sometimes how much time is wasted in common office jobs. Oh, you and I both know way too much. Just depending on the person you hire for a job, some people can take the entire 40 hours of the week to get the work done. And that's that it's like they're shooting for the lowest common denominator in terms of job and work hours. Yeah, I definitely, and you and I both know examples of people that we're definitely not going to name right here right now, uh, but people who tend to take uh, more time with tasks that aren't, while not automated, have pretty set guidelines as to what you should be doing decision tree-wise. Yeah, I, I've seen this happen time and time again in many places I've worked, and it's really bizarre to me that it continues to this day in the age of automation. Well, the age of automation, yes and no, right? Because you know how, like, you know, popular mechanics was talking about, you know, in the in the fifties and sixties, how like now we'd be uh, free to do what we want and like work one day a week because of automation, et cetera. But we're still in that like dirty gray zone where it's it's kind of happening, but um, it's a really complicated issue because of the fact that uh, companies ha- who are publicly traded have shareholders and a bottom line to watch out for, right? So while they would love to keep people away saving money in the long term is kind of what they're up to, right? So that leaves people who become unemployed. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. And and it's it's also like an unfortunate thing. You don't want people to just lose their jobs because they've been automated out of, into oblivion. And it's happening more and more too, unfortunately. It's like, why have 10 people doing, uh, you know, repetitive tasks when you have one guy watching over the computer that does it? Yeah, it's like Homer. Remember when he had his, uh, his uh, he was... Drinking bird. Work, yeah, he was work, yeah. working from home. I work from home today. There's definitely no drinking bird there, I can tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the job that I do is a little bit more difficult in terms of like, I actually sit down and, and write a fair amount for, for what I do. And while you can automate that to a certain degree, um, mimicking a style and a tone automatically is still something that uh, computing is working out right now. So I don't feel as threatened as someone who would be doing like data entry, for example. Uh, when I was reading this article, I was wondering how many more ways it can automate what I do 
to free up more time to do other stuff. Because like, you know, like in the job I do, there's always something to do. Uh, and a lot of it is, unfortunately, can't really be automated, right? You're dealing with people with very different needs in many different situations. So one of the saving graces against automation is user stupidity, right? So while we may design <laughs> the perfect system, people wandering into these systems wouldn't necessarily know where to look and what to say and what to see. So therefore, we they do need that human guidance for different things. Well, that's exactly right. And maybe one day we won't need to do these types of jobs because we will be making millions of dollars from podcasting. <sighs> I would love to think that that is the case, but as this Fast Company article from earlier this week pointed out, uh, it, it's a very problematic proposition, right? So in the article, they're saying that CastBox, uh, who, which is like an independent network, is having problem generating ad revenue, even though some of their podcasts are having millions of listeners. So I'm wondering like, what their like budget line looks like. It really blows my mind because I know a lot of podcasts that don't have anywhere near millions of listeners. They have tens of thousands and maybe a hundred thousand, but they make good money and they don't need to have like an entire staff. So it's, these podcasts are not the type of podcasts like I listen to or that uh, we actually are producing here. Uh, this is literally a two person operation. Well, two and a half of the cat. Oh yeah. The cat. Uh, well, Actually, going back to Zach Saichi, this week he had uh, Mark Arman, and they talk about this as well, where podcast revenue is getting more difficult to come by. So if you started a podcast five, six, ten years ago, you would have had an easier time getting podcast revenue because you can easily get an advertiser. Now, because there's so many podcasts and there's so many big players in the game, these uh, ads are going to those um podcasts unfortunately and not not people like us the the market is getting uh, more and more crowded right so that is something to keep in mind in, uh, in terms of available ad revenue dollars as well as the uh, amount per ad is probably going down i highly i highly recommend people listen to that episode it's episode 26 of the menu bar i'll put it in the show notes they really touch upon this uh, podcasting stuff it's um and mark arman somebody who knows a lot about podcasting uh, having a really so successful show you don't know who Marco is? No, I know who he is. I know who he is. But I'm saying it's like our listeners may not know who he is, right? So I think that like it may be worthwhile to unpack that. Okay, well, I've mentioned the Accidental Tech Podcast on the show many times. It's one of my favorite shows. And I've mentioned Overcast many times, which is, the, in my opinion, the best podcast app. And that's the app he makes. Uh, he also makes a free app for podcasters uh, where it's, uh, it's an encoder uh, called Forecast, which I use to encode this podcast that you're listening to now into mp3 and carries over the chapter markers quite easily it works really well so he knows what he's talking about when it comes to podcasts his podcast's relatively successful uh they're not making millions of dollars off of it but they're making good money to be able to produce the show uh, but listen to that episode talks a lot about the ins and outs of podcasting very inside baseball but really really interesting I think the other thing to uh, kind of note too is that the type of podcasts that Castbox creates aren't uh, conversational podcasts; they're audio dramas or audio comedies, I guess, like like fictional content. So I can understand why they need to pay for a voice cast. I can understand why they may need a second editor or an editor, or you know, I can understand certain things, but there are ways to offset that. Well, it's funny because one of my other favorite podcasts is Stop Podcasting Yourself, which is a comedy podcast, and. One of the hosts of that was a producer on one of the CastBox shows, the one CastBox show I I, I listened to uh, called This Sounds Serious, which is extraordinarily funny and not long. There's only like eight or nine episodes 
well worth the listen. But you can tell it's highly produced, so there is some money going into that. It's just the podcasts I listen to are podcasts like ours, where it's like a smaller show, usually two or three people, independently made, and finely crafted and artisanal podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) The double IP of podcasting. Yeah. I'm kind of curious, though, from our listeners on their uh, side of things, like, do do you guys listen to um, uh, fictional podcasts? If so, which ones? And do you listen to conversational podcasts? If uh, if so, like, which ones? You can always tweet us at double underscore density. You can hit us up at facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing over on Instagram. You can head over to double density.net, click on the contact button, give us your list of podcasts. We're kind of curious to see what you are listening to and uh, why. Let us know why. We're kind of interested uh, t- to sort of like pick your brains and see what you're listening to. Go listen to good podcasts. That's that's my advice. <laughs> Double density. A final note for the tech section. I'm saving Angelo this week uh, from some homework that we were going to discuss. And I was going to use his brain as an art history major uh, to talk about an article. But I guess what we'll do is we'll save that for next week uh, because there's a part two. So I'm going to force you to read two parts of an article uh, all about memes. And we're going to talk about memification and an art history angle on memes. So Angelo, get your... Uh, university graduate head on in the coming weeks. I really felt like I had homework this week when I read that article and I'm going to have homework next week too. Thanks. <laughs> but it's good homework. It's, it's homework that you know. It's homework that you should have paid attention to while in school. It was like 10 years ago, but yeah, okay. It, it's like riding a bicycle. Yeah, I'll just keep falling off. <laughs> the audio equivalent equivalent of falling off a bicycle over and over. You know what? That kind of train wreck might interest people, might interest uh, advertisers, might get uh, yeah, ad sure. revenue. So think about that. All right, let's go to paranormal, please. (laughs) Sounds good. I'll see you there. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. First thing on the docket this week is an article from the dubious website of The Express uh, out in the United Kingdom talking about how uh, our favorite place in the world, that magical land known as uh, Skinwalker Ranch, uh, may or may not have had some government testing going on in terms of aliens. So the article quotes uh, George Knapp, who wrote Hunt for the Skinwalker. And, you know, there's this recent documentary that came out, but apparently he uh, dropped this bombshell to The New York Times uh, during their interview uh, some time ago and that that did not come out. And so now they're saying that a member of the Bigelow uh, Aerospace Advanced Space Studies, either they leaked the documents themselves or they were leaked um, by them, uh, shows that the government had an active hand in some of the goings on at Skinwalker Ranch, though uh, not a lot in terms of particulars. Of course not. There's never going to be particulars with this because it's probably just secret military stuff they were doing there. I I really like Bigelow is an aerospace uh, person. There's going to be aerospace stuff going on there. It's not, it's not aliens. It's not ghosts. I really don't think so. Um, they were probably testing out the, a another Predator suit. <laughs> yeah, Jean Claude Van Damme was in there in the suit. So you think that it's just r- routine secret government testing on the place? Nothing weird going on. Nothing strange. Uh, no little uh, green men. Uh, I hate that using that term. It disgusts me, and yet I, I use it anyways to describe. Uh, extraterrestrial. It's like shorthand at this point, yeah. right? It's not I'm like uh, I'm, it's like the normie version of talking about aliens here, and I feel bad about that in retrospect. So I apologize. I, I am getting distracted from the article on all the side stuff. Oh yes, let's do this. So this is like I said at the top. This is kind of a dubious website. So Angela, please read off some of the uh, most read uh, articles on the website in the weird section. The one that stood out was Yellowstone volcano eruption. 
what does the Bible say about Yellowstone erupting? Well, the good news is, Angela, I just clicked on it. And what do they say? (sighs) It's uh, according to one random rabbi. He's saying that it ties into some Old Testament stuff about the end days. Blah, 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 blah. Let's not link to this. It is kind of bogus. Um, and like I was saying, like the, the Express article, kind of it, the Skinwalker Ranch one is kind of dubious too, right? So Of course uh, it is. A little questionable there, but I do uh, enjoy. It's fun though. I, ta- I like talking about Big Bob Bigelow and Big Bob, Big Bob Bigelow's like, like old-timey good fun ranch. Two weeks ago, I know that we mentioned that this would make an excellent musical, and I've sort of let the idea marinate, and I still feel like it would make an excellent musical. I would love it if uh, Big Bob Bigelow revealed himself to be a a new Bam Bam Bigelow. (laughs) Like Bam Bam's distant cousin? Yeah, he shaves his head, he's got the flames on there. It'd be amazing. If nobody knows what we're talking about, it's uh, a wrestler from the uh, 80s and early 90s. He also dressed up in a... Yeah, that shirt, that flame shirt, like that was a, t- a style of shirt that you could definitely get in the late 90s that uh, if you thought that you were a BA, that you would wear those. Let's keep things uh, moving about uh, dubious alien things this week. How does that sound to you? That is always the best because this tweet you linked me to <laughs> made me laugh and laugh. And I think it's a legitimate laugh. tweet. So um, uh, actor legend warwick davis uh tweeted out a picture of what looked like a cloud but also had the shape of ufo so therefore he figured perhaps it was time to tag secure team 10 in his tweet with the picture this prompted me to go through his twitter timeline to see if there's anything else related to weird stuff and there really isn't i I went through it quickly obviously there maybe there's some stuff down there but he doesn't seem to be a yahoo or anything he seems totally normal. But he's linking to Secure Team 10, which, uh, in case anybody's wondering, they're garbage. I think we talked about them in the first five or six episodes, like very early on. Yeah, they're terrible. Yeah. I find it interesting that he decides to make the move to tag them, I guess, because they're a well-known entity uh, in the social sphere, even though they are completely wrong and they're the equivalent of like the paranormal version of like it was a hoax, bro. So I'm I'm wondering, and I'm hoping this is the case, is that, that is if Warwick Davis is a total skeptic about this stuff and he's making fun of them. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, the way that the tweet reads, it kind of sounds like he's genuinely curious and interested and doesn't know any better about Secure Team 10 and hasn't really checked them out. So therefore, he thinks they're a credible source to tag. Um, speaking of credible sources, though, uh, somewhere in this thread that we're going to link to, uh, there is a tweet from a Twitter account that uh, we ourselves had um, some problematic interactions with late last year on the day of the To the Stars Academy um, initial public offering, sort of like... Uh, grand unveiling uh rob and i from our strange guys were having this great funny conversation and someone was taking it at face value thought we were being serious about everything and then it got into this whole kind of like downward spiral of arguments twitter's great and twitter's terrible as zach was saying last week it, it's a great conduit but it also is a uh in my words a flaming dumpster fire of uh, sadness and hatred uh, there's one uh that says it's spy ship the aliens monitor us closely someone said dirt on your lens i agree with that Someone said that'll be Superman, which I could agree with. Yeah, that's that's always possible. How do you feel about this picture? Like looking at it, like what kind? You know what kind of clouds this is, right? That's like a lenticular cloud. There yeah, we go. It's it, I see them all the time, actually, uh, over the mountain here. 
which is a mountain that's been known to uh, harbor UFOs uh, or lenticular clouds. Uh, I think he's excited about the two dots, one above and one below. The one above seems like a camera artifact. The one below seems like a bird or a drone or something. Uh, nothing in this image is a uh, alien spacecraft of any kind. Uh, if it's a UFO, it's the fact that we can't tell if it's a drone or a bird or a really far off plane. Could be anything at this point. Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to sit here and, and I'm going to keep yelling enhance at my computer like a 90s movie until I can see what it is. Did it enhance it? It did not, no. It, it, this is not working out for me. Just ask Siri to enhance it for you. So, <laughs> I don't want to ask Siri anything at this point. Uh, so, I linked you to a BuzzFeed News uh, video about how Siri is a little naughty. And uh, let me just make this clear, right? So uh, BuzzFeed News is a vertical of BuzzFeed and Offshoot. But the work that they do, I don't know, have you watched their Netflix series? Uh, it's on my uh, watch list for sure. Okay. Because okay. they're not terrible. No, like BuzzFeed News does a lot of really good work. So the name- A of, lot of good listicles. Yes, but also beyond that, like BuzzFeed News specifically does a lot of really great long form work. You'll want to check out uh, Follow This, which is the Netflix series. It's really, really great. Every episode's 15 to 20 minutes. They cover a wide variety of subjects. Uh, but yeah, so uh, BuzzFeed News is reporting that uh, the Siri recommended, uh, so like when you start typing in the search bar in Safari, um, Siri will suggest something to you. And unfortunately, they're pointing towards already debunked um, conspiratorial websites. Now, my question here is this, and I haven't tested it, is my thought is it's doing this because he's been researching this stuff, because Siri learns from what you put into it. All right, let's test this out right now then. I'm going to open up Safari. I've never searched for anything on here. I do not use Safari as my default browser. So we're going to, okay, perfect. We're going to open this up right now and just give me a sec. And we're going to do a search, right? So let's do the, like the QAnon is real one, right? Okay. I'm not getting any Siri or like a recommended search result here. See, so it's it's all it's a conspiracy, Brian. It's all a conspiracy. You think so? I don't know. <laughs> I find it really interesting though that it's serving up a series of uh, uh, untruthful uh, web hits as the top hit, right? And and we've talked about how like a lot of search engines should be better policing what they allow and filter through. See, so when I search what is QAnon on um, Siri search on my Mac, right? So if you yeah. if you do a spotlight search, it brings me to the Wikipedia page. Okay. And then Sirius suggested websites. It gives the MSNBC, YouTube, and the Daily Beast. So what you're saying is perhaps that it, since this is like user-generated and user-created, that uh, Charlie Russell did this to himself. Yeah, and, and maybe it's inadvertent. Maybe he doesn't understand how it works, but it, I would assume he, he had researched that Siri kind of learns from you. Maybe I'm wrong, though. I'm, I'm not 100% saying I'm, I'm right about this, that it's not, not that it's his fault, but it's... It's not that Siri is doing this. Siri learns from uh, the users. I'd be kind of interested, and I guess this is like a developing story that we're going to continue to look at and sort of play with. But yeah, in my case, like all I get is a Google search. I don't get a Siri suggest here, unfortunately. So I guess I'm not searching enough on Safari. Maybe on your phone? You use Safari on your phone, don't you? I do not, know. I use Chrome. Okay, so check on your phone. If I ser- Okay, so if I just type in QAnon, it sends me to QAnonPosts.com, which is just a treasure trove of weirdness. And it looks like a weird version of 4chan. Okay, it's even worse than on your phone. Yes, this is, uh, I don't know if this is machine learning, actually, then, in that case. This is um, an odd development, then. So we, we're, we're getting some of our uh, chocolate with our peanut butter here, uh, tech yeah. and paranormal. <laughs> but uh, I, I did feel this should go under paranormal. And this is a major problem, right, with how the internet now is leaning people towards weird conspiracy because there's so much of it out there. So a lot of the stuff that gets filtered through is not 
like scholarly articles that have researched this stuff. It's garbage that people just put on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Like Secure Team 10. So if you search UFOs, you're not going to find a critical paper by like Jacques Vallée from the 90s. You're going to get a crappy video from Secure Team 10. Right, because it's also more digestible, right? Well, way more digestible than than something by Jacques Vallée because it's a lot more uh, cerebral. Yeah, and, and people just want the media to be handed to them in such a way that it's, it's, it's compact and, and, and easy to sort of like go through, which is kind of ironic when we consider the fact that we're talking about BuzzFeed News. Yeah, so I'm, I'm finding it odd, though. I, I don't think, I think there's something wrong. <laughs> I wouldn't blame Siri. Well, here, why don't we do this? All uh, of our listeners who are Apple users and who don't use Safari as your default browser, go ahead and test this out. Type it in conspiracy theory. See if there's a Siri suggest. Let us know what it is. Take a screenshot and, you know, uh, tweet at us, double underscore density, uh, or email us, you know, double density uh, podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you are getting. Let's turn this into a social experiment. Great. Now we'll be getting QAnon stuff. <laughs> directly into your inbox my friend yeah it's like christmas is coming really early for you i can't wait well my birthday's coming up so there that, that'll be perfect for it and uh what are we doing for your birthday extravaganza we are going to play nintendo games uh, no i mean on the podcast here oh, on the podcast we're going to play nintendo games <laughs> the first audio let's play of its kind yeah that, that'll be really interesting we're not going to do that no unless we do a screen share we could do that and uh, you could guide me into what you're doing yeah i'll be a twitch streamer for a night that would be weird, but I also feel like you'd be good at it. Really? I don't think I would be. Well, just the idea of like an older, like, like you're not 22. You're not, you know, Ninja. You're not a Grand Pooh Bear. I feel like there's an audience for people like you. You think? Yeah. I don't know. The audience just should come listen to the show. <laughs> well, the idea is the Twitch stream is sort of like the tunnel to get people to the podcast. Oh, let's try. Anyways, I feel like this is the logical end here for episode 7-7 of the Double Density Podcast. How does it seven, sound to you? 7-7. Seven. Seven seven interesting all right my friend you can go ahead and uh find us on twitter double underscore density facebook.com slash double density podcast same thing on instagram you can head over to double density.net and you can see all the different ways in which you can subscribe to our episodes you can also hit the contact button and leave us any and all information you want we want to hear as we were saying about uh what uh safari is showing you in terms of conspiracy theories we love some screen grabs uh also send birthday uh, wishes to angelo prematurely i guess yeah that sounds fun All right, everyone, tune in next week as we explore the strange and undeniable appeal of paranormal romance and novels. See you around, Angelo. See you, Brian.